Have you ever wondered what makes people capable of creating changes that impact their lives and the world around them? What is their way of thinking, their mentality, their patterns, their perceptions of the world, their reactions to different life events? What influences them? My name is Cristina Puyol, and I invite you to join me in this adventure where we will explore together the mind of change makers. How are you? How do you feel? In what emotional states do you usually live in? Do you tend to be mostly optimistic and positive? Do you easily feel happy, joyful, peaceful, and loving, grateful, inspired? Or do you tend to be depressed, negative, and generally pessimistic? Do you get angry, offended, or frustrated easily? Do you often feel guilty, fearful, sad? What feelings do you usually experience when you wake up in the morning? Are you a person who looks forward to the day and sings in the shower? Or do you feel unhappy or stressed? Do you often get caught up in worry or anger about some person or situation? If something happens that you don't like in the morning, do you stay in a bad mood all day or do you get over it quickly? How do you manage your emotions? What is the emotion or group of emotions that you usually turn to when the going gets tough? Today, we're going to talk about emotions, what they are, and some tools to get to know ourselves and manage ourselves better. So what are emotions? Emotions is a response at the most basic level to an internal or external event which occurs in the part of the brain called the limbic brain, which creates a biomechanical cocktail which generates a whole physiological response in our body. But we could say that we have one or two or three or four or five, maybe six, <laughs> basic emotions. Everything else is learned by repetition, information, or trauma. In the first few years of our life, studies show that we set our emotional baseline. And the emotional baseline is the state you return to after experiencing emotional arousal. This is analogous to a heart rate returning to the baseline after doing exercise. During the 70s, psychologist Paul Ekman identified six basic emotions that he suggested were universally experienced in all human cultures. The emotions he identified were happiness, sadness, disgust, fear, surprise, and anger. Except for surprise, those are the emotions portrayed in the movie Inside Out. Psychologist Robert Plutchink, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly, put forth a wheel of emotions that work something like the color wheel. And a study from 2017 suggests that there are far more basic emotions than previously believed. In the study published in Proceedings of National Academy of Sciences, researchers identified 27 different categories of emotion. So we still have a lot to learn. But let's give a few distinctions about the difference between emotions, feelings, emotional states, and personality. An emotion is a physical state that comes from the body's responses to external or internal stimuli. It has a very short duration and normally a known origin. Feelings are mental experiences of bodily state, which comes from the brain interpreting emotions. It is my perception of emotions. An emotional state has a long duration and in many cases 
because we've been holding it for so long, we don't even know the origin of this emotional state. And once we hold an emotional state for a long time, it can become part of our personality. So the other of such events is I'm threatened, I experience fear, I feel panic, I am fearful. So feelings are mental experiences of bodily states which arise from the brain interpreting emotion, physical states that arise from the body response to external stimuli. Brain scientist Jill Bolte-Taylor is author of My Stroke of Insight. She is an amazing woman. She's a neuroscientist who had a stroke at the age of 37. And as a scientist, she was able to see, feel, and describe later all her process of having a stroke and then her recovery of eight years. And she has helped so many people and she's continuing doing research and her work is amazing. And she describes in her book that when a person has a reaction to something in their environment, there's a 90 second chemical process that happens. So our emotions take 90 seconds to go through our body. Everything else is just the person choosing to stay in that emotional loop. And she calls that the 90 second rule. So an emotion becomes pathological when we hold it too long. According to Taylor, from a neurological perspective, we have the power to choose moment by moment how we want to be in the world. In her own words from an interview with Brian Robinson, she said, Essentially, when you look at cells in the circuitry of the brain, every reactivity is simply a group of cells performing their function. From the moment you have the thought that there is a threat and that circuit of fear gets triggered, it will stimulate the emotional circuitry related to it, which is the fight or flight reaction. That will trigger a physiological dampage of anger into the bloodstream, and it will flash through you and flash out of you in less than 90 seconds. So from the moment you think the thought that triggers the whole cascade of events to the chemical flashing out takes 90 seconds. She continues to say that look at the second hand on a watch. As soon as you look at it, you're now observing yourself having this physiological response instead of engaging with it. It will take less than 90 seconds and you will feel better. Of course, you can always go back to thinking those thoughts that re-stimulate the loop. There is probably a thought somewhere in your brain of somebody who did you wrong 20 years ago. Every time you think of that person, it still starts that circuit. When things are getting hot and you're getting hot-headed, look at your watch. It takes 90 seconds to dissipate that anger response. So simplifying the description of our brain a lot, we have three parts, the reptilian, the limbic, and the neurocortex part. The reptilian regulates all primary survival functions. The limbic brain is the one that has the amygdala, the hippocampus, and more parts, and that regulates and has ultimate control of the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. It is where all the emotions and feelings reside. The amygdala controls emotions and the survival mode. So when it fires, because we feel fear or another emotion that is strong, we can get the learning and memory circuits in our hippocampus to work until 
we hit the pause button and take a moment to calm down and feel safe again. We won't be able to think straight if we don't hit the pause button. This is why anyone who is freaking out, for example, in front of a test, tends to underperform regardless of how well they prepare. When our limbic anxiety circuitry kicks in, we are locked out of accessing our higher cortical thought centers, which is where our learned knowledge is stored. I don't know if you have heard these concepts, but I have, and they are very popular. And one of them is that we only use 10% of our brain, and that is not accurate. We're using every cell of our brain that is alive. So that is completely not accurate. We might not be using all the brain to our fullest potential or in a way that can help us better, but we are using 100% of the brain. Or we also, I also hear this concept that the right brain is the emotional and the left brain is the rational, and that is not accurate either. When you cut in half the brain, there is neocortex in both sides, there is limbic in both sides, and there is reptilian in both sides. And the difference is how they work. The left hemisphere has an emotional side and a rational side, and the right hemisphere has an emotional side and also a rational side. But they work so that the left is like a serial processor and the right is like a parallel processor. So in the right hemisphere, everything is felt more like an explosion of sensations, while the left hemisphere is trying to compare with the past and the future. It's constantly comparing. So when an emotion comes in the right hemisphere, we just feel that emotion. In the left, we compare that emotion with emotions of our past or predictions of our future. That means that we are emotional creatures that think and not intellectual creatures that feel. So what determines the quality of your life? Emotions. Your life is controlled by the meaning you give to things that happen to you. And this meaning directly impacts your emotion. And it's in charge of promoting the physical, chemical, and biological processes that will lead you to experience pleasure or pain. Although emotional energy can be stored anywhere, even outside of the physical body, sensations such as surprise originate in the body, usually in the belly. They are basic human responses to stimulus of pleasure or pain. However, our reaction to any stimulus can produce thoughts that trigger a secondary emotional response because these sensations are translated through the nervous system to the brain where they are associated with some cognitive meaning. For example, if someone jumps in front of you and scares you, that sends a feeling of fear from your stomach into your mind, which can then be experienced in the body as a scream or that person experiencing a punch on the nose. The sensations that lead to thoughts that are later experienced as emotions happen so fast that they almost come together and work together. This is possible because the mind has both a cognitive and an emotional capacity. Thus, emotions are not only sent to the brain from the body, but are also conceived from thought which we then experience back in the body. So emotions have three components. One is the neurophysiological, which is kind of involuntary, behavioral, that is learned, and cognitive, which is the rational part, the thoughts that we have. 
Each person has a unique set of variables that contribute to emotional responses. And they are the biological, like age, gender, genetic predisposition to medical and mental health, effects of substance use, the psychological, coping and communication skills, trauma, emotional distress, memory and learning, attitudes, beliefs, expectations, and then the social, the social supports that we have, the quality of the relationships, our socioeconomic status, the cultural and environmental factors. So what we have to be clear about is that we have a thermostat with settings and a regulator that we control, and that sets the intensity by which we experience those emotions. If we don't learn to know ourselves and we go as co-pilots in our life and we don't learn to use that regulator, it's like we are lending our mobile to someone else and letting, letting them adjust our settings or having someone else set the thermostat in your home at their will. We have to learn to know ourselves. And what do you think? Are emotions negative or positive? I'm not even going to classify them because sometimes fear can paralyze you or it can make you run. But sometimes it can help you to push you in the direction that you want. It all depends on the situation, on your beliefs, on your values. So emotions are neither good or bad. They're not positive or negative. They're just an emotional message with a call to action. So I will classify emotions as comfortable or uncomfortable because some of them don't feel so comfortable, but we have to go through them because they have a message and there is an action that comes with that message. Some emotions also are felt at the wrong time. So I will say that some are timely or untimely. They come at the wrong timing and they move us away or closer to our goals. They belong to the present or it's a residue of the past because we bring them back by a thought. And today they talk a lot about the vibration, the frequency of the emotions. And with that, we can classify them in being expansive, creative, or survival and contractive. And expansive are things like gratitude, love, happiness, peace, presence. And the ones that are more survival are beside the basic ones are guilt, depression, insecurity, worry, anxiety, judgment, hostility, doubt. And this is not good or bad, but when you are in the emotions that are more contractive, your view of the world changes, your view about your possibility changes. When you are at the expansive, your view also changes. You see more possibilities. It's like comparing this with a skyscraper. If you are on top of the roof, you can see the whole horizon and you can see the perspective. You have a view that will show you more possibilities. And rather when you are at the basement, you don't see anything. You might not even have light. So when you raise your baseline, you're going to have higher highs and higher lows. And from that, your perspective of the world will change. Our moods affect the possibilities we see in life. And don't forget that emotion is energy in motion. 
it predisposes us to action. Every emotion leads us to a specific action. And when we carry it out, we get a result. When we don't respond to that action, we create an emotional depth within us that we always end up paying. And every emotion has a different call to action. Happiness, it's a motivation to keep on going and to repeat this because this is important to me. Sadness means that we need to stay quiet, that we need to stay where we are to process, to give also gratitude for what we have and fight maybe if we lost something, to fight for that. Surprise means pay attention. Disgust, of course, it means avoid this. Rage means that someone has crossed your limits. You need to put limits. You need to claim your space. Guilt means that there's something that went wrong and it's time to make it right. Love and gratitude makes you recognize that you are enough. Fear means alert. You need to take precautions. And I will quote this from Debbie Hampton. Take care of your mind. Your body will thank you. Take care of your body and your mind will thank you. So it is crucial for us to know how we feel and how is our body feeling? What emotions are coming through our body? What emotions are we producing from our mind? We do not choose the emotion, but we decide what to do with what we feel. Many emotions are instinctive, but our behaviors and our thoughts are our elections. So emotional intelligence is to be present and make decisions in the present. Emotional intelligence is a verb that must be conjugated daily. The sine qua non is that realizing that you're being emotional in the first place and the sooner you recognize an emotion, the more options you have to deal with it. In Buddhist term, it's recognizing the spark before the flame. In Western terms, you're trying to increase the gap between the impulse and saying or doing something that you might later regret. So there are three things that help us change things and it's the strategy we have, the story we tell ourselves and the state in which we are. Everything in life depends 80% on our psychology and mindset and 20% on the strategy but we focus so much on the strategy and the state and the story we tell ourselves is 80% on how we are progressing in life. It impacts greatly everything we do. So if you don't put yourself in empowered states first, you won't be as effective at what you do. And the development of emotional control involves knowing three forces that impact our emotions and emotional state. This is the triad. I think Tony Robbins talks a lot about this. It can help us to go around and think, Okay, if I'm not feeling well, is there anything I can do to change my emotional state or my feelings? And the three things are attention, physiology, and language. The first one, attention. What or where do you focus your attention most of the time? Because what you focus on, you will feel. And what you feel moves you to act in some way. Your dominant focus is literally what determines the actions you take and the direction of your life. The truth is, whatever you consistently focus your attention on, whatever focus patterns you consistently execute, it will determine where you live mentally and emotionally. And that includes attention outside and inside. Which thoughts and pictures in your mind are you paying attention to? 
The second is the physiology. And this is the fastest and most powerful way to change your state. Small adjustments can make big changes. One tool is the posture. And you've seen Superman and you've seen Wonder Woman. They have power pose, what is called the power pose, where they stand feet apart, their hands on their waist, standing tall, their chest open. And it seems like a dumb thing. And maybe you don't feel comfortable doing this. But there's many studies now that show that your body is listening. Your mind may be thinking this is dumb, but your body's saying, okay, I feel good. I feel comfortable. Let's do this. There's a TED Talks from 2012 from Amy Cuddy, which has some polemic, but her work is really amazing. And she says that expansive stances make people feel more powerful and they increase happiness, mood, and other related emotional variables. So if you're aware of it, body posture is so easy to change and you can do it any time of the day and if you don't feel like doing this in public you can go to the restroom before an interview and just stand tall and with the hands on your waist and feel like superman or wonder woman but if you're like me and you're busy maybe you can add this to your morning routine and just do a power pose during two or three minutes when you wake up and then carry on the rest of your day. Or you can spend those two or three minutes in the power pose and do your affirmations, your powerful questions, reviewing the day, setting yourself up for an amazing day. And on top of that, you can add breathing work. There's so much you can do in two minutes. And in that time, you can just set yourself to feel powerful for the rest of the day. Another physiological tool that is really powerful is the breathing. It is the most basic of our physiology. To calm down, we need a breath that activates the parasympathetic system through the vagus nerve. I found an explanation that I really love about the different types of breathing and it's simplifying this, but for those who begin, I think it's a way to understand that there's many types of patterns of breathing and you just have to use them differently depending on what you want to do. All the breathing patterns are to be divided in three, water, whiskey, and coffee. So water you can have during the whole day. Whiskey is for relaxing, falling asleep. So you have that normally when you want to relax or at night. Coffee, you normally want that to wake you up, right? So you will have that in the morning or if you need just to an activation for, a, for, a, for something for studying or getting focused, or, that's when you use the coffee. Water, the water type of breathing patterns balances the nervous system. And it's a breathing pattern where you slow down. You breathe deeper through the nose. Normally you do four inhalations and four exhalations and you have like four to six breaths per minute. So you're gonna slow down, but you're gonna keep like a pattern that is the same inhalation as the exhalations. The whiskey makes you sleepy, is used to relax and stimulate the parasympathetic system, which is the one that calms us down. And that is very slow. And here you have a pattern where you inhale for four and exhale for eight. Four counts to inhale, eight counts to exhale. And so you're in exhaling more because exhaling makes you calmer. 
exhalation is what calms you down. Inhalation is what activates you. So in four by eight is the one that makes you calm and relax. And that's the whiskey. The coffee is to wrap you up. And that is three rounds, for example, of 20 inhalations that are hard. That is type of like the Wing Hof, where you go. And that's going to make you really active and awake. But please, these things, if you've never done it, try it slow, very short times, never do it underwater, never do it in anything where you, you know, where you're standing up. If you feel dizzy very quickly, just sit down, try it out. And if you're already a professional at this, then use it. Use it the times that you want to change your state. Use it when you need to change your state. Don't forget that you have this tool because it's the most powerful tool that we have. It's free. You carry it all the time with you. The third tool in the physiological part to change our state is the eye movement. And there is a technique that is the EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. And it's a psychological treatment technique through which desensitization and reprocessing is performed through eye movements or bilateral stimulation. This needs to be done with a professional who's certified to provide EMDR sessions, and it is amazing for trauma. But it doesn't work for every situation, but try it out. Now, I learned from Andrew Huberman that you can use it for 10 to 30 seconds with eyes open, of course, looking side to side, and that calms you down. It calms the amygdala. And his theory is that it feels like a forward motion. And when you move forward, it calms you down because you normally, when you're, when you're fearful, you go backwards. You don't go forward. So the eye movement side to side makes you feel like you're going forward. And also having a panoramic vision instead of a tunnel vision or a focus vision also calms you down. The fourth tool is the energetic tools. And I love these from Donna Eden. She's amazing. She has so much on the internet. Please check her out. And the ones that I use is the blow steam and then the hand on the forehead and tapping triple warmer. And these I cannot show you because it's an audio but she has a lot of videos about these on the internet, on YouTube. So please check her out. The third part of the triad that we can change to change our emotional state is language. You are not experiencing life. You are repackaging life. We put an interpretation and a label on everything that we experience. We repackage life. We put an interpretation, a label on it. And from that, we experience life. So we are more or less not experiencing life the way it is. We are repackaging life and then from there experiencing it. Everything you receive through your five senses is filtered through many filters before your mind or your brain gives it a meaning. And language plus meaning equals emotion, feelings and results. So the quality of your internal representations determines the quality of your life. Language determines emotions and that determines what you do and what you don't. By changing internal representations, it is possible to gain conscious control of your confidence and your behavior. So one tool is to change your language, to use TV language, which is 
transformational vocabulary. So it's kind of like using softeners. If I say, what are you feeling? I am really upset with this person. And instead you say, I am hurt. I feel uncomfortable with this person. The feeling is not the same. It changed your feeling. If you say, I'm humiliated, instead of you say, I'm hurt, it is different the feeling that you will feel. I am depressed. I am a little low in spirit. It changes how you feel, even the intensity also. If you say it screaming, it doesn't feel the same as if you say it slower. Of course, I know sometimes you cannot do that. But if you start practicing and watching and observing your language, how you tell yourself things, how you say it, you will see that sometimes we use words that make it even worse <laughs> than how you feel. So it's important to watch your mind, what you're thinking, what are your negative thinkings, what your ants, like Daniel Amen, author of Use Your Brain to Change Your Age, says. Ants are the automatic negative thoughts that are polluting our mind and making our emotions go in the wrong direction. <laughs> what we receive from outside does not depend on us, but what we are depends on us. What you receive does not depend on you, what you are depends only on you. Another tool that we can use to change the language is called, I call it the coloring tool. And I won't go through the whole process, but if what you focus on, you want to focus more on, then make it more colorful and bigger. If something you don't want it in your life, you want to stop thinking about it, then make it black and white and banish the visualization. All of these that we talk about is really when you have emotions that are not to the extremes. If we talk about trauma, if we talk about real depression, not the one that we say I'm depressed, then you have to seek a professional, seek for help. There is a lot of people that are professionals that can help in these. What we are talking about this is learning more about yourself so that you can have a better life. Because emotions, we need to learn more about what emotions are and how they travel through our body, how we can control our thermostat and not let emotions dominate us. In every situation, you can do two things. You can change your actions. And that means in this case where we work on the triad, we change our focus, our body or our language. Or you can change your perception by asking questions like, what else can this mean? How else can you think about this? What thing can you learn about it? And this is related to the context. The context of things is so important. And I will talk about this in another episode. Learning about ourselves and feeling our emotions is how we grow as people. Emotions is like our sixth sense and they evolve with us. So it is important to learn to distinguish between emotions and feelings that appears as a consequence of something external or an internal thought or image and the deeper feelings that have an important message from which you can learn something. So how can we increase our emotional intelligence? When you feel an uncomfortable emotion, the first thing is to breathe and focus on your breath. 
This allows you to hit the pause button, interrupt your emotional reactivity and bring your mind back to the present. The second is clarify what emotion you feel uncomfortable about. Don't focus on why you feel it, but on the emotion or the feeling itself. Where do you feel it in your body? Is it repeated? Does it happen before? Give it a name and see if this has happened to you more times in the past. And then scan the images and the thoughts you're having. Use the triad and change if there's something negative. Change your posture, change your breathing. Let go 90 seconds and see if the emotion goes away. If it returns, if it stays, Review again your physical state. For women, where am I? My cycle, what I ate yesterday for everybody, how I slept. Did I have a party last night? And then the emotions I'm going to have this day are not going to be the same. Give your body time to recover from something. But if the emotion returns and returns, what is the important and profound message that is here for me? What does my subconscious want to tell me? What should I pay attention to here? What messages do you have for me? And if you find from all of these that there is an action to take, promise yourself that within 24 hours you will do something about it and not letting any time pass by. And this is a practice. It's a practice. This is not something, and in some areas it will be easier, in other areas it won't be so easier. But start to take note of your emotions, your feelings, emotional states, and the things that you tell yourself about your personality. Create self-care routines of your energy and your mental health. And look for resources in your past. Remember situations in the past in which you handled this emotion well, in which you successfully resolved the situation and believe that you can repeat it. Be a memory manager. Keep the resources that serve you in the past. They might serve you in the future or in the present. And then practice and practice in the future. Get certain that you can handle anything like this in the future. Visualize. Feel yourself dealing with this easily. Your brain cannot tell the difference between something you vividly image and something that you actually experience. So rehearse like it's happening like you're really conquering this emotion remember that to be good at something you must first have the courage to be bad the more connected you feel to your emotions the sooner you will feel in control of your life and the faster you will be able to respond to the messages that your subconscious is sending you and in this way you will be more and more emotionally intelligent our relationship with others begin with a relationship with ourselves. Thank you for this shared time. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you're getting tremendous value out of this. I always love to hear from you. Please contact me. I always leave my information at the notes. And since many of you share that you want to support the podcast, you can do it at zero cost by subscribing on any or all of the platforms of your choice, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Audible, Google Podcasts, Deezer. And you can also share it with all your family, with your friends. Leave us a review on Podcast Apple app and a five star if you think we deserve it. And since many of you want to help us at another level, we have created a Patreon account patreon.com forward slash change maker where you can support this podcast at three levels i will leave you the link in the episode notes and this will help us to grow 
a huge, huge hug and kisses to you, change maker.